morning to Chapel Scott's edition. We love you. And good morning to the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you guys. You can be seated. Well, we're in a series called Next, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. But we've uh, printed out these Next series journals. Maybe you forgot yours last week, or you didn't even get one. I just want everyone to have one of these journals. Uh, that you should have gotten. So if you didn't get one, our hosts are coming at this time. Just hold your hand up high. Come on, if you need a journal, come on. Some over here, some over here. Just hold your hands up high. We're coming around with those. Come on, if you don't get one, hold your hand up. I want to make sure everyone gets one. We have the uh, teaching notes throughout the whole series, as well as um, some guides for what our vision is the next two years. And in there, I wanted to let you know too, uh, just remind you of a date where we'll end this um, series called Next. It's March 20th. Come on, somebody say March 20th. March 20th. So here's what we're doing. March 20th, we're calling Commitment Sunday. And uh, in the guide there, you'll see a commitment card. And we're not going to ask you for any specific amounts of money. We're just going to ask you to pray, to ask God what you should do. And so we're all partnering, turning in these commitment cards to, to dream about what God will do. In, in 9.30 and 11.15, we've had overflow in the lobby. And so we, if you were here last weekend, you know we're building a new auditorium, renovating our existing space for kids and, and students and young adults, and then expanding uh, resources for Scott's Edition, future campuses. You can see all that in the guide there. So we're just asking you to ask God what you want to do, but I, I had somebody tell me that um, 40% of people that are connected to church um, don't give anything, and so one of our visions you just need to know in this series is that it'd be an all play, all participation, everyone involved. Um, do you know the average person spends $1,700 a year on coffee? Come on, they don't call it Starbucks, they call it five bucks, right? And so here's all we're saying, no one should give less to the kingdom than coffee. It's good preaching today, ain't it? And uh, so, but you pray about what God will have you do. Uh, a lot of our leaders on on this first Wednesday, Katie and I, our whole team, we're going to make our commitments ahead of time on first Wednesday. You're welcome to join us, but then uh, uh, we just want you know all of our leaders are participating in this, and then the launch on um, March 20th, and then we we hope to be breaking ground here in the next few months. Come on, how cool is that? And so we can get get rolling here. Um, I wanted to let you know about one other thing, actually two other things before I dive into the message. One of our, um, our, strong, one of our strongest missions partners, Convoy of Hope, uh, that we are one of their leading mission supporters, texted us this morning, our church uh, connections friend there from Convoy of Hope, and they invited us into something that just began yesterday, and that is Convoy of Hope is at the border of Ukraine, Poland, and some other spots where there are backups of refugees with papers and all that kind of stuff, and there's they're in need of food and water. You know, people have just gotten out of Kiev and other areas. And so um, so we just, our team got it up on the website and everything. We're committed today to try to raise $10,000 to go to provide food and water to, um, to families that are refugees right on the border there that actually just don't have anything. And, and so I, I said you'd do that. So if you'd help me out, that'd be great. So... Uh, our team's so great. I mean, we texted them early this morning during the first service, and they put it on the drop-down menu on Give. It just says Ukrainian missions, and, and so we just want to be a part of that. I'm tell you what, I think cynicism is is dead. When I saw the when I we're watching the bravery of the people of Ukraine, the president there, the church that's standing, and we need to be a church that not only prays for them but does something. And so 
you, God puts that on your heart, would you join with us? We want to get those resources there. We're going to send it ahead this week and just trust that some people will jump in with us this week and make that happen. And then I want to share one other um, amazing thing uh, because of your incredible commitment to Jesus and the church. And uh, in December, you already gave to this, but we committed to helping three church plants get started in one in five churches in COVID shut down. And so we committed as a church to be a part of three church plants, one in Syracuse, New York, which got launched last month, uh, one in Orlando, which launched last fall, and then one right outside of Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, so Pastor Dusty and Chantel had their first service today at 9.15, and then their second one at 11. So they're about to start their second morning service, Central Time, in 12 minutes. And uh, and you need to know, uh, Katie and I Zoom with them once a month, all Uh, three of the couples, so four of us, we train them, we invest in their marriage, in their uh, ministry, in their kids, in their church. Purpose Church is the name of the church. They, in fact, had a miracle happen, and that is that somebody gave them a church building a few months ago. It just didn't have doors. (laughs) How many know when you get something for free, it's, you know what I mean, kind of? And so they were like, thank you. Now, but it's a, like a value, uh, probably $2 million property and everything, but they had to pump in about $40,000 just to bring, you know, like doors and stuff like that. And uh, in fact, this is the pre-service uh, or pre-picture. And then they're, they got awnings still in the mail, but the frame's up there. So Purpose Church goes live today and we'll bring you updates. I just want to say thank you. You're amazing because of your commitment, generosity. God's doing something in Richmond, but I just wanted to let you know they are launching a brand new church in Louisiana that you're a part of. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your, uh, your partnership. Well, this series next is really built upon this Bible verse that Paul ends his doxology or his prayer with a doxology. Now to him, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And and we reminded ourselves as we launched this series next last week that it's not just a next for us, Scott's Edition, Midlothian, Chapel, but it's a next for us individually that God has a next for our families and for our future, for our individual lives, for our schooling, for our businesses. And we remind ourselves that he's going to do more than we ask or think because it's not about our ability, but he's going to do that according to whose power? According to his. Aren't you glad your life doesn't rest on your power? <laughs> Aren't you glad it's not according to our power? Aren't you glad it's not according to the chapel's power? Aren't you glad it's, it's according to his? The reason he can do more is because it's his power, not ours. So he says, God's going to do some amazing things according to his power at work within us. And then he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Here's a phrase we want to camp out on today throughout what? Throughout all what? Generations. We want to talk today about all generations. We want to talk as a church about being a multi-generational church. We want to be a church with young people and we want to be a church with old people. We want to be a church with in-between people that are not old and not young, but come on, just turn to the person next to you and tell them, ask them, am I old? Come on, just ask them that. No, don't do that. That's bad. Why would I say that? How many of you got an answer you didn't want? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, part of this next initiative is a focus on us being a church that passes our faith on to next generations and I want to just start it off by giving you a statistic. Generation Z 
is born between 1995 and 2015. Come on, if you're here and you're in that gap, come on, raise your hand up high. Come on, who's got a church with this many Generation Zs in it? Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, this is ages 7 to 27. This is, makes up about one in four Americans make up this generation. And to be honest, I'm going to talk straight to this generation for a second. There's a battle for your faith going on. In fact, two out of three of Generation Z is leaving the church, okay? Do you know twice, Generation Z is twice as likely to be atheists as their parents' generation? Only 5% are reading their Bible regularly, and particularly in our kids' teenagers and young adults, COVID had devastating emotional um, effects. Anxiety and drug addiction. And I mean, just, just when the, the infrastructure of our life was pulled away and everything went virtual and things were isolated, it did an emotional damage. And actually, Generation Z spent more time on their phones than, uh, than before. In fact, how many know it's good to be a chiropractor? Because everyone's like this, you know what I mean? Like, and so, and so I, I get some of that connects us, but I actually think social media offers an illusion of relationships, sometimes not deliverable of it, right? And so we think we're connected because we're connected on a screen, but there's something about having connections that are deeper than that. And so I want to just say this to every Generation Z. Some churches see the, the, the statistics that have some challenges to them as, as a problem. We don't see this as a problem. We see it as an opportunity because I want you to know at the chapel, God's doing some incredible things. In fact, you know this, Scott's edition, Midlothian. Between the six weekend services last weekend, the number one demographic that got baptized, we over, I think we baptized a little over 40 people last weekend. The, the number one demographic that got baptized was under the age of 21. I mean, how cool is that? And, uh, and so we rejoice at what God's doing in the lives of our of our young adults and of our students and of our kids. And I want to give you this verse as we get going. We, we saw it in the last series. Nehemiah came to the people and he told them, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. And then he gives them these words and come on, say it with me and fight for your, fight for your families. He doesn't say just let it go the way it is. No, fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And I want, you, I want to say this. I want to kind of rattle the cage of the chapel here today. The generations that are coming are not problems to be fixed. They're opportunities for us to partner with them. And I want to say to anybody uh, in Generation Z, I hope you'll find this church to be a church that believes in you and wants to invest in you, wants you to lead now and lead in the future. We are committed to you. Come on, chapel. Let's tell them that. We're committed to you. I, I, read, a, I read a story a few years ago about thieves that saw that one of the uh, cash, one of the clerks working the cash register wasn't super bright. And so they, they figured out how to steal stuff by taking price tags and switching them. And they'd switch and put inexpensive price tags on expensive things. And they take the price tag off of something expensive. And I think that is what's happened in our culture. They've switched the price tags. 
They've said this which is valuable isn't valuable and this which isn't is and live for this and don't live for this. And there's been a whole wave of confusion and chaos in value and belief and infrastructure. I think there's been an attack in the home. And I just want to say we need to be a a church that's awake in this hour and is committed to fighting for our daughters and our sons, our homes, our families. We need to be a church that understands that God's plan in the earth is the family, okay? In fact, you know, before God created uh, before God created the church, he created the family. Before God ever created the church, he created a home, the institution that would be, the chapel's no stronger than our homes. The chapel's no stronger than our relational connectedness and God's plan in the earth is the family. In fact, one of our sister churches last month did a survey of all of their students an anonymous survey, and they said, tell us what you wish your parents knew. Tell us what you wish your parents knew. I wrote down, I've been meditating on some of these phrases, okay? The students answered, I wish my parents knew. I wish my parents knew that even though my actions don't always show it, I desperately want to please them. I wish my parents knew how much I treasured their advice, even when I acted like I couldn't care. That was for somebody. (laughs) Wish my parents knew how much I loved holding my dad's hand even when I would act like it embarrassed me in front of my friends. I wish my parents knew that when they wouldn't let me date a guy and I acted mad, I was really thankful that they were fighting for me. I wish my parents knew that instead of threatening to punish me, I need them to do it. All the kids said, I didn't say that, no. (laughs) I wish my parents knew that when I saw them fight all the time, it really messed me up. I wish my parents knew that their words impact me more than any others. Things they don't remember saying have changed my life. I wish my parents knew that I wish I could be open with them about my mistakes. I wish my parents knew the evils I face every day. I wish my parents knew the fear I hide behind the fear I hide behind my rebellion. I wish my parents knew how hard it is to stay pure. I read through these through these uh, just quotes all week and just let them kind of bathe over my soul and just just to just to get a sense of where where we're at in this generation and what this next season for our church is is it's a commitment to not just the church that's here but the church that's coming right it's it's i think i think the steps we're going to take in the next two years are going to impact the lives that are coming in the next 20 years you see that's what faith does it looks at the seeds it plants in the soil and doesn't just look at the fruit of what's growing on the tree i mean we're all sitting on this in the seed of someone else's sacrifice right But what biblical maturity says is, I'm going to sacrifice for what's coming after me, right? So I want to talk to us about what it means today to be a church that's committed to what's next. And I want to show you a verse that I shared uh, uh, one of the first Wednesdays, but I think it's like an important one to get in our hearts, okay? It's 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 a passage about when the priest would die and what happened to his cloak. It's kind of obscure, but let me just show it to you and show you why I think it's so important for this season. Aaron's sacred garments should belong to his, come on, to his what? His descendants, okay? So this means 
God wants you to wear your dad's shirt. Not literally, but I'll show you what I mean. So that they can be anointed and ordained. So Aaron, when he dies, his garment, his cloak is to be presented to his son. The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear the garment of his deceased father for seven days. This is kind of gross. Here's what they're saying. When the priest dies, you go and take the cloak off of him and you put it on his son who has to wear it for seven days. (laughs) That's kind of gross, isn't it? I have a kind of gross story I thought I'd tell you. Katie and I, when we got married, our family members gave us, we, were, we had no money, we were 20 years old, got married right in the middle of Bible college, and someone, gave, my aunt gave us a bed, okay? And it was then at that year's Thanksgiving that I realized that my other aunt had died in that bed the year before. And so my one aunt said to Katie, it's so nice that you guys weren't really picky with the bed, because I probably wouldn't have taken the bed knowing that, and she mentioned this lady, died in that bed. So Katie kind of looked mad at me. I was just enjoying my turkey. I was like, it was a free bed. Like, <laughs> as, as long as, well, I don't want to get into any more of it. I get the sort of morbid idea of this, okay? It's the priest dies and you're to take his cloak and put it on the sun. But it wasn't about the physical code. It was to teach a spiritual principle that we're to be taking what we have and giving, taking what we wear, what we believe in, what we value, what we stand on, and passing it to the generations that are to follow us. And I think this is true. We can only pass on not what we claim with our lips, but with what we wear with our lives. How many know this generation needs people that don't know how to talk it, but people who know how to live it? Come on. And that's what literally God's saying in the Old Testament. The priest has got to live out his faith in such a way that the mantle, the garment, the heart of who he was and what he stood for is passed on to the children so that that, those descendants walk in what he had. In fact, let me just give you three relationships all, all of us need in our life. You might want to take a picture of the screen here or I think you have it there in the notes. Every Christian needs three relationships in their lives. We all need a Paul or a mentor in our life. Somebody who's been around longer than us. How many know everybody needs some old people in their life? In fact, the Bible talks a lot about the value of gray hair. Right? So we want to say this to those with gray hair today in this room in Scott's edition. To those who, who really have gray hair but you're running from it or covering it up. We want to honor people who have been around this world longer than we are. Come on, young people. We honor those who have lived and have wisdom, right? Hey, and catch this. This has to be cool at the chapel. Honor has to be a cool thing. Because I think we live in a day where people dismiss the elderly and dismiss authority. Let it be said in this house, in this culture, in this church, we honor those who have lived longer than we have. They have something to teach us. What's new is not always true. So so we all need a Paul, a mentor in our life. We all need some friends, some Barnabases, some people that we can goof off with and laugh with and hang out with. We all need some friends in life. We need mentors. We need friends. But we also all need somebody who's, who's either younger than us or newer in faith than us. We all need somebody that we're mentoring. 
We all need a Timothy, someone that we're investing in. We all need someone investing in us. We all need friends we can hang out with. And we all need somebody that we're investing in ourselves. We need to be people who wear the garment and pass on our faith to those around us. I grew up in a church, uh, uh, at a church called Grace Assembly in Syracuse, New York. And right across the street from my home church was, was the place with the best apple fritters in town. It was called Maury's Mill, okay? And uh, Maury's Mill. And in fact, um, it was amazing because we had, these were the days back in Sunday school and Sunday school days. And so my parents, the kids would get, we'd get dropped off for Sunday school before church. And my parents would give me missions money to put in the offering and my cousin missions money. And I'm not proud of it, but let me tell you what we did for a while, okay? <laughs> my church had an upstairs and a downstairs and our our Sunday school class was downstairs, so we'd say, love you, mom and dad, my cousin and I, and we'd walk down the stairs and out the back door of the church with the missions money in our pocket. You know where this is going, don't you? We'd walk across the street to Maury's Mill, and we'd buy apple fritters, okay? Be nice to the kids that do that. They might end up being pastors, okay? <laughs> I remember one day, one of my dad's friends was there, and he, he said to me, does your dad know that you're during Sunday school, that you're here buying donuts during Sunday school? Now, I was taught to be very respectful, but in this moment, I shouldn't have done this, but I said, I knew he had just dropped his kids off to Sunday school, and he was eating a donut, and he was getting on me. So I just asked an obvious question. Do your kids know that you're here eating donuts when you drop them off to Sunday school? Well, he told my dad and it did not go well. <laughs> I just want to say this. We need a generation that doesn't drop kids off at church, but goes with kids to church. We need a generation of moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas that living this thing out. We can only pass on not what we profess, but what we wear, right? The, the priest had to wear the garment to pass off the garment. But let me show you what this garment had on it real quickly. Let me show you two things that, have you ever stained your shirt? Well, this garment had two stains and I want you to see these two things. It's super important. Take, so, so here's what happened as they were coming into worship, they would take an animal and they would slaughter it, okay? And as they slaughtered it, they would take some of its blood and put it on the earlobes of those who were coming in. So think of this, you show up at church and hospitality's at the door, right? with blood and they just put it on. How many are grateful we live in the New Testament? <laughs> but I want you to see it. So they got blood from the sacrifice and they put a drop on the earlobe on the right ear and then uh, put a drop on the thumbs of their right hands and put a drop on the big toe of their right foot. Here was the symbolism actually. God, if I've listened to anything this week that I shouldn't have, forgive me. If I've done anything with this week that I shouldn't have, forgive me. My feet, if I've went anywhere this week that I shouldn't have, forgive me. It was, it was a symbol of the sacrificial system. And basically they took some of the blood from the altar and they sprinkled it on the garments, okay? And here's what happened. It made them consecrated. Here's what I want you to see. The blood in the Old Testament was a picture of the fact that for, for sin to be forgiven, Someone had to be punished for that sin. And so they sacrificed animals to bear the responsibility for what the worshiper had done. 
but it really just pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. So let me tell you, here's, the, here's what the garment has on it. The garment is a garment of the gospel. It's, it's a message of Jesus' blood, okay? So you need to know this. Some churches are saying, you gotta, don't talk about blood in church. It's gross, right? Like we ought to dress this thing up a little and like be, make it more palatable. A modern audience doesn't want to talk about blood. But here's why it's important to talk about blood in church. Because the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. It teaches that our sin was so serious, it required the payment of that sin through the life of something. So here's the truth. Either we had to die for our sin or a sacrifice had to die for us. And that lamb was just pointing ahead to the ultimate lamb. So I want to say this this weekend as we can't take the brutality out of our faith, the gruesomeness out of our faith. Our faith is a little bit of a gruesome story that our sin demanded our life to be, to be given in exchange for our sin. But the great news is a sacrifice came in our place to give his life so that we did the just punishment we deserve fell on another. His name is Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus today that cleanses our sin? right so we gotta have a garment of the gospel here's how paul puts it i could turn to a hundred scriptures but just one therefore just as sin entered the world through one person right and death through sin so adam and eve were created and they sinned right and sin entered throughout the whole human race you say pastor how do you know everyone sinned have a baby from the littlest age they're little creatures of depravity how many know a toddler would hurt you? They're just not strong enough. Right? You ever seen them? They would just kill everyone. Just The only thing that's protecting me from you, buddy, is I'm stronger. People say that's a beautiful baby. It, not really. It's pretty selfish. My babies have never been like, you sleep through the night, mom. I'm good. You know? They're just tiny sin creatures. So sin entered the world through, 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 okay, sin entered through one person. But here's the great news. For if many died by the trespass of one man, I love these words, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, flow, overflow to the many. If sin entered the world through one man, Adam and Eve, how much more does salvation enter the world through one man, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for our forgiveness. So catch this this week, and we're not gonna camp out here much longer, but I need to say it. We are not made right with God by our own actions. If you're here today and you say, how do I get to heaven? I've been a pretty good person. That, eh. Wrong answer. We are not good enough to earn the love of God the Father. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you're not that good. Come on, just tell them that. Come on, you're not that good. You say, I'm better than you, but still. None of us were good. The answer is not that we get to heaven because we are good. The answer is that we get to heaven because of the actions of another. It's why the Christian faith actually sets itself against all the other world religions. All the other world religions say if you earn your relation, if you're good enough, you get to heaven. Therefore, when you get to heaven, you're arrogant because you did it on your own. I was good enough to get here. Christian faith alone says I'm confident I'm going to heaven. Well, isn't that arrogant? No, 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 because it actually wasn't me. It was what someone else did for me. 
I get to heaven not on the basis of what I do, but what Christ has done. I get to heaven not on the basis of my own righteousness, but an alien righteousness given to me, laid to my account. The bank got confused and gave Bill Gates' account to me and my account to, the, to him. And now all his money's mine. How many would sign up for that? That's what the cross is. God's saying, I'm going to take away all your sin and I'm going to give you my son's righteousness. And so we're fully forgiven, not by works, the Bible says, Ephesians 2.10 or 2.9, because then we would have something to boast in. Hear me this weekend. We, I'm certain I'm going to heaven. And it's not because of me, it's because of him. Let's be a church that preaches the cross of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the gospel. I'm telling you, we need more than Dr. Phil and Oprah. There's plenty of places with a lot of good advice. We don't have good advice here. We have good news. The battle has been fought and won through Jesus Christ. And I'm not hating on Dr. Phil and Oprah. I'm just saying the one, the one man, Jesus Christ, did the whole thing for us. All right, I'm running out of time. Let me go to the next thing, okay? So take the blood, the lobes, <laughs> the thumbs, the feet. All right, what else? One, one of the spots on the robe is blood. Let me show you the second one. And take some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on his garments for then they will be consecrated, okay? The garment has two spots. You have this right in your little what, teaching series guide there in front of you. The garment has two spots, blood and oil. And here's what oil is. You, we saw it again. I gotta fast forward. Blood, oil. We good? Yeah. Okay. Here's the second thing. The oil is a symbol of the empowerment of God, the Holy Spirit. It's a garment of his power alone, okay? So it's a message of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We don't have long on this, but let me say a couple things. People get scared of the Holy Spirit because it's been wrongly taught or wrongly experienced or undertaught. <laughs> I mean, we believe in God the Father. We understand fathers. We believe in God the Son because we see Jesus. But when you say God the Holy Spirit, or maybe some of you grew up with a King James Bible. Anybody here, right? The Holy Ghost. You're like, what's that? <laughs> Who are you going to call? I don't know. I don't want that. You get all weird and freaked out. Here's what the Holy Spirit is. It's God's enabling presence to live in and through our lives. Here's what he's saying. You and I are not strong enough, so we need his strength to live through us. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. The Holy Spirit makes me better than me. And I need to be better than me. And guess what? You need to be better than you. And that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. He's come to live in us. He's God's empowering presence. The energy and strength of God through the person of the Holy Spirit to live out the life that God has for you. Now, let me ask you a question because some people say, well, are you a Bible church or are you a Holy Spirit church? And they make you pick. Like the Baptists love the Bible. Pentecostals, they love the Holy Spirit. Which you want to be? I heard it said, I think this is really helpful, that if, if you're a part of a church that is only Bible without the Holy Spirit, you dry up. And if you're part of a church that's only Holy Spirit without the Bible, you blow up. <laughs> dry up or blow up. But if you're part of a church that stands on the truth of God's word, wed with the power of the Holy Spirit, you grow up. I want to be a part of a church that's all Bible and all God's power and Holy Spirit. 
So this, this meeting doesn't have to be weird, doesn't have to be odd. But, but I want to be a part of a church that still believes that you can pray for people when they're sick, right? If I'm sick in the hospital, don't come and pray this prayer. God, you're about to kill them. We know you don't do miracles today. So as they die, you know, don't send somebody who believes in a miracle to me, you know. I don't need that guy. I need the other guy, you know. I, how many believe God still works in this day and age, right? But rooted in scripture. And so somebody said after one of the services, well, that's a Baptocostal. Well, whatever you want to call it, sign me up. I want to be a part of the church with the Holy Spirit and God's word. Amen. Right. And so, all right. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm out of time, but I want to share one story. If they bring the keyboard player out, it'll get spiritual and I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking about the last couple of years and, um, and how, how many struggles there have been with COVID and, and now with the world, the craziness politically and all the uncertainty, NATO and Russia, Ukraine, all this. And I thought to myself of a quote, I shared this um, a few weeks ago at First Wednesday. I want to share it with you again. It's from the president of Dubai. Okay, and I want to speak this over young people and over the generations to come. The president of Dubai was asked a question about his wealth and success, and he just told a story. He said, my grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover. My grandson is going to ride a Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. Why is that, he was asked. And his reply was, because hard times create strong men. And strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. And weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. And add to that the historical reality that all great empires... The Persians, the Trojans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans, and in later years, the British, all rose and perished within 240 years. Think about that in terms of the age of our country. But they were not conquered by external enemies. They rotted from within. When I was thinking and praying over our future as a church, over what God wants to do in the next one, two, five, ten years of our church. These words were echoing in my mind. The first was maybe because of our a young generation that's gone through a couple hard years, God would use it to raise warriors. That's what I'm speaking over Generation Z. You're going to be warriors. But then the second thing that hit me was that maybe the greatest challenge we have in our future is not the enemies out there. It's, it's not something happened in Europe right now. Maybe the greatest danger facing our country isn't external enemies, but the enemy of our values rotting from within, of the dissolving of the home, of the all-out assault on relationships of the total rejection of anything that has any semblance to do with a healthy value system. Do whatever you want, however you want, however you feel at any time. Don't worry, as long as it, it's good with you, you should do it that way. 
and to think of the consequences and to think of the, the destroyed lives because the challenge in our culture, I don't think it's right now external enemies. I think it's a challenge within. So here's what next is, okay? Next is the Holy Spirit taking our church and rattling the cage a little and saying there still needs to be a place that believes in biblical truth and values that still says there's such a thing as right and wrong in the world today, but doesn't do it with mean-spiritedness, anger, does it kindly, warmly, winsomely, joyfully offers a broken world another alternative. I know churches that are changing their messages to go after culture. I don't know about you. I don't think culture needs to pick a church that does it their way. People come to church because their way ain't working. And we need to, as a church, really lovingly stand in the middle of a culture and say, if your way is not working for you, Jesus has a better way. Because he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, but the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has more for us. I want to be a part of a church that calls generations to come to lovingly, passionately, and also compassionately declare two, two, two spots on the garment, the message of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit walking through tough times, warriors for the glory of God. Would you bow your heads with me all over this room in just a second, Scott's edition at Chesterfield County Jail in this room in Midlothian. We're going to sing a song to close. But before we do that today, I wonder if there's anyone here today that you're not, I won't drag this out, I promise you, but you're not sure where you're at in your relationship with God. And today you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure where I'm at. I don't, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I walked away from my faith. Today I need to come back to God. No one's looking around. We're not going to embarrass you, make you get out of your seat. I'll just pray for you right where you're seated. Won't single you out, I promise you. But there's something about just reaching your hand up and taking a step and saying, God, I want you to see me. So if that's you today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ or you need to come back home, would you just raise your hand all over this room? Yes, sir, thank you. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, yes, yes. Are there others who'd say, just pray for me, Pastor? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I see you, yeah. Anybody else, pray for me, Pastor. Yes, thank you. Young lady, yeah, man, thank you. Anybody else, one last time. Yep, I see you over there on my right. Yep. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Thank you, ma'am. One last time. I'm not dragging it out. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, thank you. It's not um, becoming a member. It's just placing your faith in Jesus. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Then we're going to respond. You can pray a prayer that goes something like this and God will hear you. So many of you raised your hands. I'm just so proud of you today. But you pray this prayer. God, I've made mistakes. I've sinned. But today I believe in Jesus. Today I say thank you for shedding your blood for me. For giving your son for me. Today I can't save myself. So I run to you. Take away my sin. Give me a new start. Come into my life. Today I'm done running. I repent. I place my faith in you. I confess that you're the Lord of my life. I believe you died on a cross and rose from the dead. And 
today I'm fully giving my life to you. Would you save me, forgive me, and start my life over? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Before we close today, on the way out at Next Step, there's a place to check and say, I took Step of Faith online. You can do that. We just want to email you, help you start your relationship with Jesus. We've got a baptism service coming up in just a couple months. We'd love to talk to you about that. But I'm, I don't even know how many. I don't even know 25, 30, I don't know, in this room. Come on, chapel. Let's just encourage people with God's doing people's lives. Amen. Man, who's enjoyed being in church today? Come on. It's been an amazing, amazing day. Thank you so much for joining us, being a part of this next series and all that God's doing today. Listen, we love you. We want you to have an amazing day as you leave. There's a prayer team that's praying for people. Feel free to be prayed for, but be blessed as you go. We can't wait to see you first Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.